All right, this is John. And this is Sean. And this is Movie Night with Sean and John. (laughs) Hello. Frank is here. Hello. Sean. Nice. Miller Lite per usual. Or I, I usually get or? I usually get high lives, but high the life. the gas station only had lights. Yeah. What, happened, what happened to Michelob, man? I thought you were an ultra guy. Well, like Michelob's like nine dollars and what? Miller's six dollars. So welcome back, Frank. Thank you so much. It's it's been about a year. We were just talking about it. It's awesome. It's been almost yeah, exactly a year. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. We're doing Mank tonight. Mank, yeah. A little bit different than Star Wars: The Last <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> yes, <laughs> on a different more side of, a, of the spectrum. Yeah. More better, a, a better of, film? Do we? I, th- I think so. I think, I think, I think that's, that's fair to say. safe to say, yeah. I don't know that they'll make a billion dollars off of this movie like they Not did with Star all. Wars, but... Who dude, knows? I mean, Netflix, man. They, let's they, talk about that's, that. That's Bank. true. That's true. So, Netflix, I heard that they're, they're poised to kind of set a record, maybe for, like, production house, as far as nominations go, this, uh, like, award season. This cycle? Hmm. Yeah. I could see that it's happening. interesting. Because everything uh, got pushed back. The Aaron much. Sorkin film. Did y'all see the sh- Trial of the Chicago Seven? I haven't watched no, that yet. No, but it got really good reviews. So that's a Netflix movie as well. Um, yeah. And then this one, which is sh- apparently kind of a shoe in, uh, or at least in the conversation for like a number of different categories. But it's interesting that Netflix and Prime and all these other, like even Shutter. We just saw The Dark and the Wicked. Like, oh yeah, that some of the movies, I guess. That we're seeing now and really enjoying are from these massive streaming sites, like, or not mm-hmm. so massive. They're uh, swooping in and taking advantage of the uh, theaters not being open as much. I like that they're really going for it artistically, though. You know what I mean? The Irishman, another Netflix, uh, uh, yeah, very yeah. Uh, celebrated. Like it seems like they're investing in filmmakers um, in a way that, I mean, obviously you have these top tier guys making Netflix movies, you know. But you also there's something have... to be said about that, right? You no, know, for like, yeah, sure. For and sure. I think, especially for for Mank, the relationship between Mindhunter and Fincher and all that stuff, they kind of removed the roadblocks for him and said, like, hey, like, just make the show that you want. Yeah. And so I think that maybe has something to, something to do with the creative freedom, or mm-hmm. or yeah. it seems like they're they're giving. The other thing is that this is a film we were just kind of reading about it. One of the things uh, it was hard to make or whatever. It was like he was batting around this idea for like 20 years or something like that, right? right? Yeah, dude. Same with The Irishman. So it's like Netflix will actually invest that capital into a film. And I know The Irishman wasn't cheap. I'm sure this wasn't uh, cheap. Dude, but I mean, it's part, you know of, what I mean? it's part of raising the uh, subscription price every year. That extra dollar <laughs> goes into uh, getting true. a movie made. That's true. And maybe it sucks to dish out you know, an extra 12 bucks a year, but... But it goes have, to Martin Scorsese or David Fincher. Or it seems just like an unending Adam well Sandler. of like money that they have. <laughs> well, they <laughs> do, especially now. I mean, yeah. Netflix's stocks went through the freaking roof with COVID. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think they're they're wanting for anything at this point. It's just, I guess, it's interesting to me that these these huge filmmakers who I love, whose movies I. Uh, you know, go back to again and again that they're now making uh, Netflix original films and then mostly going to streaming. I mean, I know that they're doing theatrical releases of this. I know they did it for The Irishman, but a lot of those other, I mean, I guess not all of the movies that get released. Like, I know the Coen brothers did another, uh, did a Netflix oh, movie. Last year. Buster Scruggs. Yeah. 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 
that didn't enjoy a long theatrical run, I don't think. You know even what I mean? Even the Irishman was like two weeks. Yeah, it's like even. they didn't put a huge investment into that bit of it because they couldn't come to terms with the, the theaters or whatever. I know it was like a big thing. We we uh, we talked about it. Yeah, that. I think the theaters are obviously upset with Netflix because more people have Netflix subscriptions that they pay monthly than go to the theaters monthly. Right. The average person doesn't go to the theater maybe even mm-hmm. once a month. Right. You know, so obviously they're probably not going to want to help them make more money when they're already beating them financially. I wonder long term what will happen to the theatrical experience as a result of this streaming company being yeah. like this giant in the market. I think like, that's what, a if scary they, what if they thing. eventually just say, you know, like theaters, you know, like it could go either way. Though. Overhead and it could go either way because they could make I mean, money if they, on it. Too. Yeah. If they do, you know run a monopoly on on these kinds of movies they could buy their own theaters and be like we're only showing like our movies at these netflix theaters yeah and like if you want to see them like a month before they come out streaming like come here and it's some like super package thing where you pay like 20 dollars uh, a month like and more you of a subscription come, like if i was hmm. a ceo of netflix i'd be i'd be thinking about that and then you could sell snacks and like other <laughs> things and make some real money you know? i think it, it's just it's <laughs> interesting to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I'm just that's, interested that's to see goal. how I'll still it unfolds. sneak my own in. It's fine. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I'm just interested to see kind of how what this effect will be. You know, yeah, long, long term. term. Yeah. yeah, I think it's kind of scary because obviously we're here. We love going to the movies. Yes, and we don't know if that's going to be around forever, especially with the current model. It's it's kind of scary. Dude, well, and this year too. Yeah, it it's sucks, really man. shown yeah. us AMC man. R.I.P. Studio Thirty. Yeah. Man, that was my theater, and it sucks because Studio Thirty. We saw Hereditary there. I think yeah. we, we've seen we saw so Parasite. many. Dude, they, they I grew up a... going there. I've yeah. seen so many movies there, it's and they crazy. they had a good selection of international movies, uh, like the artisan yes. movies, stuff like that. That's the benefit of the Thirty Theater model is that there's more possibilities for what can be shown. There's just Right. more screenings you can have in a day you can show more films than an eight uh theater theater you know what yeah. i mean yeah but and yeah. I, I think we can also agree that netflix doesn't have like the best movies all the time like yeah sometimes i think yeah. it's getting better but like it's a lot of trash like i don't know if i want to yes. go to a netflix theater well yeah, i mean no, it wouldn't yeah, yeah, show yeah. it wouldn't show everything it just show the like you know their top 10 trending like maybe it's, <laughs> if that's the case then they would like really that. have to step it up with I like see that part monthly, of it i don't weekly releases my fear is that netflix will just ultimately dominate. phase out theatrical releases that's my my fear is that's just scary, that man. movies as we experience them in the theater like as this uh you know it's in mank they're talking about it he's like all we sell is a memory and yeah. we still own it when they leave the theater and they already paid for it. It's like, yeah. uh, at what point will Netflix just kind of say, we don't need to necessarily do that bit of it anymore? You I know? mean, they could, but then they're not the only, they're not the only player in the game because uh, even Amazon Prime had movies that go to the theater. Right. Like right. that, um, what was the one with Casey Affleck? Oh, dude, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, Um, they've had. I mean, they've had several. That's just the one that comes to mind. But like you said, Netflix has the capital. Netflix has the capital to really change things. They've they've definitely changed. I think just the landscape of uh, where the top tier kind of guys are going just to get pictures made that they know will cost a lot of money. You know, it seems like those are kind of the projects that they're willing to like pick up. You know, right. at least in the scale that they will release them in a theater and we are familiar with them or whatever. 
I guess it it also kind of begs another question, like how like the masses do they still like going to the movies, or would they just rather sit at home? Well, so and there were two other people in the theater tonight, man, <laughs> dude, <laughs> and but they walked out. They left, man, oh. but dude. But here's the thing. So this is my second time seeing Mank at the same theater. Yes. There were like four or five people that left in the middle of the wow. movie when I saw it. It was a little bit more huh. full, barely, but still wow. people just got up and walked out. Like, right. I don't know why, but I, I mean, that's, I that think sucks. This, I think this kind of movie, I think the style is is a little Demanding. bit taxing on like a normal uh, audience. Viewer. Like, I, I would not recommend this to my friends that like... Fast and Furious movie. And I'm not. I'm not like. I. I don't want to. You know. Give the impression that I'm talking down on people based on what they like. You like. What we you like, like all kinds. Some of things dumb are shit. really fun to see in the theater. It's like I want to watch The Rock fist fight someone out of a moving car and shoot a bazooka. You know, like whatever. You know, whatever you're into. Who cares? Those movies make a lot of money. Uh, they do well in some markets, but those people are not going to like sit down for a two hour and 15 long minute yeah. movie about a guy of... that wrote the script to Citizen <laughs> Kane. You know, like they probably have never heard of Citizen Kane. And I, Kane. I agree with that. And I think, I think the thing that, I mean, obviously we all, we all three of us love movies and love film, but yeah, it's seeing this movie on the big screen fucking did it for me, man. Like yeah. I think watching it on my freaking 45 inch Samsung that I bought five years ago, I don't mm-hmm. know that it would quite have the same get effect. That, you don't get that same Which is, feel. it sucks, man, that like if movies go away forever, then we might not have that. And that translation won't be there. I agree yeah. 100%, man. I think this is going to Netflix. It'll be on Netflix December 4th. I would say definitely see it. Like challenge yourself to see it and, and watch Citizen Kane too, just to get a sense of, the background of the film and kind of why it was something worth pursuing for someone like Fincher to like exhaustively explore in detail, like all these nuances of how it got made, you know? Yeah. So like the context I think will help, but, um, fuck, what were we just saying? About watching movies at home versus the theater. Yes, the translation. Dude, it would yeah. not be there. It, it, no way because it was it was challenging as it was, but there in was the something theater. cinematic, uh, enhanced about it watching it in the theater versus imagine watching a movie like that which is challenging at home for the first time it's probably not going to be the same i don't i don't think i could watch this movie at home like my attention span when i'm at home is super short because i've got cats running around uh people are texting me i'm getting up and making drinks (laughs) shit man uh Getting a drinking, snack or drinking something. Drinking drinks. Drinking on the, <laughs> on the podcast lights. job. Um, but like in the theater, you're forced to pay attention to what's going on because you paid your price, right? Yeah. You, you paid for the ticket. There's other people around you. You're not in the comfort of your own home, so you can't be a dick. It's a shared you're, experience. Right, mm-hmm. right. You're more tuned in, It's maybe. a respectful thing. You're not... Actually, I did see the uh, one of the other two people <laughs> Before there. Before they left. Pulled their phone out and took pictures of the screen, I guess, to like awesome. prove that they saw a movie. If you didn't post, it didn't happen, man. Yeah. And it then was, left. It was, mank- <laughs> it was so cinematic that they captured it like with their iPhone. And, awesome. and then left. Yeah. It's like you're uh, taking a picture of someone else's picture of someone else's <laughs> That's picture. Wild, you know? yeah. It's like it's so meta. It's yeah. like I saw it. No, but it was and then what left. I I think one hundred percent I agree with you in that this movie was uniquely cinematic. It Very was much. it's this like really excessive kind of toast to like this era of yeah. filmmaking when you could 
uh, a picture company would pursue someone like Orson Welles enough to say, like, we're going to give you total creative freedom. You can collaborate with who you want to enough that they find this guy who's kind of this outlier in the industry at this time, and they actually give him a, a chance only because Orson is insisting, right? Yeah. He had complete creative control in the st- yeah. without any studio interference. But but the movie is so kind of done up in that big Hollywood 30s, 40s style that, like, uh, it comes across in the theater in a way that maybe it wouldn't at home. I agree. And with that, I want to talk about two things. So there's we were kind of talking about these before, but the degradation of the film itself to kind of get it to that point. To like retrograde it. Yeah, which is insane to me. And then also just the sound design itself, like it's intentionally recorded with certain microphones. And they mentioned that they wanted it to sound like it was found in Scorsese's basement, you know, that type of thing. (laughs) Like there's so much attention to detail. And I think that, you know, hearing it out of your sound bar, you know, yeah. at home or your TV speakers or whatever. Like, yeah. it's just, it's such a different experience. And I think a film that was, was potentially, I think it was what, like 20 years that this film was trying to get made. Yeah. Like you owe it to that film to be in a theater, to pay attention, to put your phone away, to sit through the whole fucking thing and just give it your attention. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's really important. So. So I guess let's just kind of set it up. So for people who aren't aware of the background of the film, which I wasn't like very much up until maybe like this week, but Mankiewicz is this this writer who's been kind of outcast from the industry at this point, right? He's kind of like a liberal guy in Hollywood at a time which was maybe more conservative. Which is crazy, yeah. It kind of mirrors this time, and I think it was really timely and poignant that he was able to get the movie made now versus 20 years ago. Right. It kind of uniquely translated. But basically, this guy Mankiewicz, uh, he's kind of this brilliant writer. He writes this film, Citizen Kane, and then Orson Welles makes the film. But it's like this is kind of this exploration on how it got made uh, and, and the process for this one writer who's kind of redeemed over the course of, like, making the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, something like that. I think I think you nailed it. <laughs> okay. I would have just said it's about the guy that wrote the <laughs> script of Citizen Kane. But but, it, but you it, did a better job than me. But it's definitely thorough, right? Oh like, yeah, for sure. There's a lot going on in there, like artistically about the process, about the politics of the process. Visually, it it's just absolutely stunning, and the performances themselves are what got me. Like obviously, the story is interesting and kind of this back and forth between you know writer director studio that type of thing is it's interesting the kind of the politics of everything yeah. but more so just the the performances and how captivating they are they are and just like simple stuff like lighting like when i kind of perked oh up and God. said like oh this is my favorite scene whenever they're kind of like in the midst of that whole election sequence like just the the cuts and the, the way, way that, that it looks is lights incredible. are bouncing off people's skin and like there's like little like things where like someone stuffs like a a cigarette into like a pastry like little things like that where it just shows like i don't know it's just that along with the acting along with the the way people are talking the way that it's shot that stuff is just incredible to me i think one thing you said was like attention to detail it's such like a gorgeously shot movie right that's definitely one of my favorite parts too but what i was gonna say i thought it was really interesting that knowing nothing about the film Mankiewicz's own story was mirrored in Citizen Kane. That was the most interesting to me is kind of the unveiling of like how the people he knew and made films with and for in real life uh, made their way into his kind of retelling of like the Hollywood story, you know, and that you can 
uh, be a, a film like the head of this film studio is so wealthy that he can finance his uh, young wife's acting career. Yeah. And then that's reflected in Citizen Kane by a character in that film. Or how he can um, sell newspapers and basically kind of shift the tide on like, public media. thought. Yeah. Uh, and that was that's also uh, a big part of Citizen Kane. That was really cool to me was kind of having just rewatched Citizen Kane seeing the details of how he actually kind of lived the story in a certain way is pretty like incredible you know he was in hollywood working in hollywood at this time and then he goes on to make a film about it that's so detailed it's almost it's, like <clears throat> it's authentic is what i'm trying to say it's like super authentic and that it was his lived-in experience that was um that's probably my favorite yeah part. it's almost yeah. like his expose on like the I guess like the the Hollywood machine, right? Yeah. Because the the company that was, I guess MGM, right? Yep. Uh, that yep. he was working for, was funding all these like propaganda pieces, basically. Right, right. That had ab- absolutely no merit. They were like uh, they hired actors, actors, out of work actors who were literally broke on the street, asking for money one day, and then being uh, uh, cast the next to play um, supporters or detractors against certain political right uh, in in films for interviews but also in real life because they were like protesting in front of the building right. and he stopped and asked them like hey what are you doing and he's like oh mgm they're paying us for this yeah, yeah so they're like paying so people facets. to look like bums on the street protesting um i think that socialists but like really they're getting paid by like these yeah he is definitely, I mean, I guess it could only be written or made by someone who's been involved like that, but right. I just didn't know it was like that. And so when you kind of find out it is semi-autobiographical or it's about people he kind of knew and interacted mm. with, I really liked that part of it. And seeing those characters like in, in the film versus like Citizen Kane, you know? Yeah, it, I, how they're kind of rearticulated, or even seeing Xanadu in that guy's property. You know what I mean? That was wild. There was lots of stuff like that. Um, if you watch the two films, it's there are moments in there that are almost reimagined. You know, mm-hmm. in a way that was tasteful though, and I think came across. It wasn't it was, forced. It was well done. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, yeah. So I guess to piggyback off what you're saying, um, we saw a movie a couple years ago starring James Franco, the disaster artist where they literally recreated scenes of like how they made the room with Tommy Wiseau. We met Tommy Wiseau in real life. He was a gentleman, <laughs> very nice he was guy. Awesome. That's but, awesome. But at the same theater that we just went to actually, uh, we met Tommy Wiseau in the lobby of uh, River Oaks. But this isn't that movie. It's not like here's a right. like lighthearted comedy about how they made this silly movie. It's like Here's a guy that's like on the brink of death, like this this like drunk guy who's lost like everything he's had. He's just squalored his entire like it's career. Yeah. And like now he's kind of out for revenge and he's gonna like basically like call out the whole system that that shunned him and and like Expose. his uh, basically like expose of like of this Hollywood mogul. But it's done with the same like grandiosity and excess of the as the original yeah, in a sure. way that comes across um they're like linked in a way, but this is enjoyable on its own, you know? That's hard to do. I will say I do think it was a little bit long. It was a tad long, but the tone of it was far more serious than than something like a disaster artist. While oh, I sure. did like that movie for what it was, like this is just not that, you know? It's like a 
a deeper dive. And it does, it's hard. He basically says, Gary Oldman says a line in the movie, like, you can't reduce an entire man's life down to two hours, right? And they and say something like that in News on the March and Citizen Kane. They're like, well, how do we get yeah. a whole man's life down to this news Right, or so, I mean. There's all these it, it, little it uh, is a, There is a little touch there. of that in there. And I do feel like some of it definitely is necessary, like the, you know, the the scenes where he's writing the scripts, he's going through his like current day problems and then call back to like four or five years previous, like, you know, these, these, these different events that kind of put him in the place that he's in. You need that backstory to know like why this guy would even want to make this kind of script, you know, right. that, that ended up into this, this. How did you feel about the nonlinear aspect of it? Did you think that it kept you engaged enough the whole time to like keep caring as to, um, how things were developing as as far as his story informing his writing, you know? Do you feel like, to me, at about the one hour, 45 minute mark, I was like, because even in Citizen Kane, it's kind of bouncing around, but then it does get into a kind of a more linear narrative toward the tail end of the movie. It's like the whole time, this is really bouncing back and forth between a number of time periods. And after a certain point, I felt kind of like, daunted by it or like yeah. it was kind of tedious but it's it's so that. well done that obviously you're gonna i was in tune the whole time but it's just something that like how did y'all feel about it i think like you said like towards the end it started to pull me away yeah. like i was into it at first because i understand like okay citizen kane is non-linear david fincher's movies basically are all like they're not a straight timeline right um so i, I was kind of prepped for that but i think Towards the end, like whenever he's at that big party and stuff, I was like, okay, I think I think we get it. Now. You know that <laughs> yeah. that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I think it, like you said, it did kind of start to pull me away towards the end. I think it could have used maybe a little bit more structure in the pacing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that for That's sure. That's like my only little complaint, though. I feel like this was definitely a a vision of a movie, you know. And I think it's cool that someone like Fincher is that attentive to detail that he would tell this super detailed story about this super detailed film that's kind of this landmark movie. I mean, even to just approach that uh, is like an interesting concept. You know, it's ambitious, like from the start. Yeah, it's very much a passion passion project. project. Yeah, That, that is another kinda, one of my favorite parts about it. For sure. And, and it does that have it does have that connection to his dad. You know, this was a script that his dad had written and it was their love yeah. of film. Though that's kind of that. Uh, I, was, I was curious I was about that. Jack Fincher. Yeah. That's so, his dad. Yeah. So his dad towards uh, the end of his life, like whenever he was in retirement, he was like, I think I want to write a script. And uh, Fincher, the son, um, David, he that's ended up. Interesting. He, Dude, su- I had no he suggested idea. That he revisit raising Kane, which is this criticism of the whole film and that relationship between uh, Mank and or and and uh, Wells. And, and, and well, Wells. I'm sorry, Orson yeah, Wells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of that that uh, that link for his dad, you know. And this is a script that sat on his shelf for twenty fucking years that he was always going back and forth with, and it was kind of that like a passion project. a passion project. And it is it's very it seems very personal. You How know? did y'all feel about Gary Oldman? Dude, I thought he did pretty good. Incredible, dude. Like exceptional. Yeah. I mean, I think he Without him, that film would not have been half of what it was. Also, Amanda Seafried. Yeah, Yeah. she did really well. Dude, she From Mean Girls. Mm Mm-hmm. 
man, I, I didn't even remember that, but she, to me, really balanced it out and kind of she gave it a lightheartedness or a certain yeah, like really levity did. because it is such a it's such a thoughtful kind of examination of like how this movie was made, the politics behind its creation, all these different, and she kind of um, just gives that like classic Hollywood like flair. That 1930s, 40s character. Like she embodies yeah. that yeah. so yes, well. It's insane. And he was fantastic, dude. To, to me, that's, I mean, I guess I have, we haven't seen nearly as many films this year as we had last year, or the year before that, but like, that's one of the best performances I've seen this year. Yeah, like for, for sure. sure. Um, who else is in this? I'm going to pull this up. This kid, Tom Burke, plays Orson Welles and is just gotcha. transformed, dude. Like, he, yeah. I, the, the voice, I don't, I, to me, it almost sounded flown in at times. Mm. Like, it, it could have actually been, like, a recording, but that's just probably how well that he I think did that. And they executed the so sound design, they, like what you're talking about. There times well, where do, it was, right? I think they do, I think the technique is called looping. Is so I right? think they Looper. that's kind of where they wow so they it wasn't his vocal bit. performance so so some of that I don't I don't know exactly how Maybe that works but I know he talked about Amanda Seyfried like being sent like a rig like a microphone and shit and she would do certain lines and things wow yeah I wish but um, she did she really did uh, pretty well like I've seen her in some oh, other dude, movies was, and I think this yeah, is like one incredible. of her strongest performances but one thing that I thought was interesting that Fincher talked about while we're on the subject of performances like the way that the way that people talk like when we think about movies from the 30s and 40s like we think about the voices like and the timbre and the pitches like being a certain way yeah here see and, they yeah, like exactly. have this like really and like the pacing of the dialogue exactly. was similar to citizen kane in but a lot what, of ways I what think, he too. was saying is that he kind of had to reteach some of these actors like that's not how it sounds like just be yourself type of thing uh, because yeah. a lot of these actors whenever yeah yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly. over the top like, or whatever like he was this wasn't that no it was it was which he he was saying that he had to kind of train them to not act in that way which is very interesting not like overact it right to, uh, right that is interesting to compensate i know that he's this um he does 80 to 100 takes sometimes right yeah like i've been reading a little bit about his process even you showed me that interview where brad pitt was saying watching movies oh, yeah. with him did you he's like that? talking throughout no the whole so i saw the one with mark ruffalo where he had like a seven minute monologue in this certain film <laughs> and like it was like take fucking 75 and fincher oh, said like all right just delete probably, um probably, oh zodiac uh, right zodiac, yeah. maybe it was zodiac yeah so he said like yeah delete the first 35 takes and like <laughs> ruffalo's like what <laughs> the fuck it's like five hours yeah worth of so like i don't know that's just kind of his style, his I, style I sent john this really thing i think it was yesterday and it was like brad pitt was talking about like he would go to uh david fincher's house and they would do like this movie night thing and I guess Brad Pitt thought that they would just be like watching a movie together right. and do research. And he said the whole time, basically like the whole time he watched a movie, like David Fincher would just be like mumbling like to himself, like he's like giving himself notes. And he or said this he shot had a late cool or this shot. <laughs> yeah, or just yeah. like no, nah, they totally messed up the track. And he would have yeah. this laser pointer on him, and he would just like circle <laughs> like things in the frame that like what shouldn't have the been world? there, like errors in the frame, like the wallpaper was wrong or but, something yeah, like that. Uh, Another part of that same article was that he, Steven Soderbergh, who's this other awesome filmmaker, he made all the Oceans films, yeah. he made Che, he made a bunch of movies, but he was in the editing room with Fincher at one point and he said that like, he was like, yeah, this part of the walls and F-stop too bright. And he was like, Jeez. man, he had to leave the room because he was like, just seeing like that all the time must be so um, like exhausting, <laughs> you know? 
This movie, <laughs> we have to talk about how how the photography in this movie is like. I mean, it's a lot like Citizen Kane in that the frames are full. There, the scope of the movie is like wide. It's like a best served in th- theater experience. Yeah. But right. the photography and the sets and like the locations, uh, Hearst's house or the MGM Studios, like it feels like larger than life. You know, like I feel like the photography and the direction were probably like some of the strongest parts of it yeah i feel like in a lot of instances you could probably take a snapshot of a frame and just like analyze the shit out of it like it's yeah. and just yeah. just be in awe of it there were so many shots that were just absolutely incredible i really like there was one almost like goodfellow shot that follow shot where they walked out into the mgm lot it was like the studio mm. lot uh oh it yeah. was when it when was when, when he's walking uh, him through and he, his brother is just kind of getting on the yeah that was and, that was a good one. Oh, but that yeah, was a, that was an uncut shot right like it was a follow a steady uh follow shot i think I, I there might have been a couple maybe there was a, there, yeah. a cut once he made the speech it was a long shot i mean it definitely the the feeling tracking. was that it was a sequence and it that looked they were really nice this, though yeah it looked really but nice. But dude, that monologue of Mayer was just incredible. <laughs> yes. It was so yeah. funny and like feel energetic. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Dude, um but a lot of stuff like that that just is so eye catching and just pops out. We have to talk at least a little bit about Citizen Kane. I think that was another thing that I was trying to do earlier was So why why do you why do you think a movie like this would be interesting for a person who maybe do you have to have seen Citizen Kane, or do you need to be aware of it at least like a little bit? I think you have to or know do you that think, it no, exists. You could... So you have to know it exists. Like I said, like I've seen bits and pieces of Kane. I don't think I've watched it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously an incredible film. There are certain things that like are just burned in my brain from it. Yeah. Um, but this is very much its its own its own thing, yeah. and that's what I loved about it. Like, obviously, you would be enriched by understanding Citizen Kane, having watched it maybe one or two times. It would only be better, that, but it. Definitely, exactly, but yeah. it wouldn't be worse. Like it is very much this this standalone experience that that is I pretty agree. awesome. What yeah. do you think? Do you think you need to be aware of it at all? You think you can just go in and and see it for what it is? I think ooh, it's tough because I've seen Citizen Kane. So, uh, I I think maybe I probably used to be smarter than I am now, or my attention span <laughs> used to be better so than lights, it is now. But... <laughs> probably all these Miller lights the edibles, from the gas station the I'm drinking. <laughs> Um, but like, I, I haven't seen Citizen Kane, uh, since Netflix used to mail, uh, DVDs to your house. So it's been been, a minute, been a little while. Um, I just rewatched it. I did. It's, it's fresh for you, right? Yeah. Hmm. But I, and I did feel that it definitely enhanced the experience for me. It made it more interesting. Um, and it kept me engaged longer because as the film, as this film kind of exposed itself for what it was and the and the scope of it kind of zoomed out a little bit because there's so many little vignettes just like Citizen Kane like I started to get more of how it was its own thing but it definitely was informed by Citizen Kane in a lot of ways that I do think it's not for everyone and it took me kind of some patience and some doing and some really sitting down to watch Citizen Kane probably like I've tried so many times and I think maybe I watched it when I was 18 19 something like that but not since then you know right so that, yeah that's that's just watching the, it again it was worthwhile it definitely takes some time to set up but i do think this movie stands on its own but it would only be better um if you have some time maybe go back and revisit it i know it's on hbo max right now and and it is like a work of art dude that for sure. the scale informs the scale of this film and there's so many things about 
that that show up in this that do make it cool. It's like Easter eggs. That, There's a lot and, of callbacks, yeah, yeah. for sure. And so now, you'll only like it more, but, man, but it does fully stand on its own. I 100% agree. I agree, yeah. But like you were talking about Xanadu, like, man, some of those shots, like a lot of the animals that are at Hearst Place, like they're, it, it's like literally it remind, shot for shot, which the, is really interesting. Yeah. But they do it in this way that's so beautiful. It's it's really cool. It's tasteful. It's not yeah. like a recreation of a scene or CGIing someone's that face fa- onto like another like body actor or something. It's, it, it is its own thing. Um and now we actually know what rosebud means. So I think when you when know. yeah, I really liked that uh, the relationship between Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried's characters was platonic, and it wasn't weird. It, was like, it wasn't like old man weird young. It reminded woman me of weird. Lost in like, Translation a little bit. It's like almost like this like uh, their their flirtation was like intellectual. You know, it was like yeah. they they had a, it was like a, a mutual respect. It and, wasn't like yeah, this. and a friendship way, and a, and a yeah. fondness for the other person and their relationship to me was kind of the heart of it and in the but the the mind of it was all caught up and obviously like the politics of trying to get this movie made in hollywood at that time and all well, that stuff but i loved their relationship it really kind of like anchored it for me narrative wise and kept me and their their friendship was so platonic that even at one point gary oldman's wife was like you should go check on her and like i feel like you know that in that in the context of the movie even says something where like i don't know that that would be the reality of like if i was at a party and some girl (laughs) ran out my wife wouldn't be like go check on her you know like that friends yeah yeah. right 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 but it's like a non-threatening just actual friendship with like no no subtext but i think like that last scene where they're sitting on that like large tree with the picnic they're both drinking champagne and like yeah their whole relationship is kind of it, it comes to a head at that point and they kind of like talk about forgiveness like if this movie does get yeah. made like you know i still care about you that's how you like, disagree you, and you respect felt, each other uh, and, but there to... was no like animosity or like hatred or like you know storming off like it was right. just this very like chill i love their relationship it was so incredible yeah that was that was really cool i don't know man i think just a love for like the attention to detail when it comes to fincher like whenever you look at Mindhunter, like these period pieces, like, man, they fucking take you there. They take you to the seventies or they take you to the forties and like, they don't let you leave until it's time. And I think that's such an incredible thing about Fincher. And like, I don't know that any other director really does that. Like maybe like once upon a time in Hollywood with Tarantino recently, that kind of puts you in that era, but man, just I could see that. Like I, I just, I, I was so amazed and captivated at how like, I felt like I was there, you know, like, and in, it's in hard to do because setting. you have to really, really, really focus on like costume design and set design, and like you were talking about the uh, uh, looping mm-hmm. of like the vocals, the audio, and, yeah, all of the audio. I man, I that was my one other complaint was that I wish River Oaks would turn it up a little bit because sometimes agree. it was yeah. unclear as to whether the audio, and I had a feeling it was being treated as deliberate, like that it did sound kind of like an old film. But I didn't. I couldn't really tell for sure because the it just felt like the dialogue was kind of quiet. But I don't think it was because the movie was mixed that way. I think it was just like quiet in the theater. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I don't know. I felt they, that way the first time I saw it too. By the way, I don't know. I think River Oaks makes a point of kind of screening their films at not super loud volume, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably because of like the general 
audience there maybe like older <laughs> but also because the, they only have a couple theaters and they're all Dude, like, but like you could hear old. the theater upstairs yes, like it was kind of like blaring through yeah you know as we were watching but also film, this so. movie's like quiet like there's not really any action sequences except when he like runs through the studio lot to get in her car that's like the most <laughs> action, action the when most... the car flips maybe oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah which i really i'm glad you brought that up i really like that scene because um it's pretty short, but Gary Oldman's like riding shotgun basically in a car, and the whole way that that was filmed reminded me of like you know when you watch older movies uh, like an old Hitchcock movie or something like how the the car is framed in the shot. I don't know. It just looked really like true to that era for me. Dude, it, all of the shots in the film dude, are there's like one, that. There's yeah. so much attention to detail in the cinematography. Even the opening shots when they kind of show you those cars kind scroll, of going yeah. through the ranch and the the uh, camera panning with the ca- yeah. uh, car as it passes by and then the the ranch name right there as it kind of yeah. like lands there. There there were so many I mean moment to moment shot to shot. It's like you said, I feel like it's one of those films David Fincher is like a, um, it's a film lover's director, you know? It's right. like the shots are, um, it's like Kubrick or, or, or something, you know, or Orson Welles. It's like each shot could be taken as an individual just like image and, and you, you have something there with like right. real like weight. Yeah. No, I agree, man. There's just, there's, there's a lot to unpack. Like I know it. Maybe the subject I would definitely material. say see it. Yeah, I, for I, sure. Like you were saying earlier, it's not for everyone, right? But like, to me, if you probably listen to this podcast, you go see enough movies or you care about movies at least enough to like something like this, I would definitely say go see. I mean, it has my recommendation for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would agree. I think I would give something like this like an easy like four stars because yeah. I can look at it and tell like there's a ton of attention to detail, Frank, like you were saying. Uh, it is a passion project. It's something that's like kind of been on and off hold for the past twenty years. Um, the acting in it's super strong. Cinematography strong. A lot of what's going on in the story reflects what's going on in like modern day time. Yeah, it's interesting. We kind of didn't get like, on that part. Huh? We have to talk with, a tiny bit about that because the parallel it, is definitely there. Yeah, like, it's and it's very a plot point timely. I wasn't really expecting. So, I wasn't and I either. Thought that, that was interesting. So like an hour, it's about an hour and a half maybe into the movie where they start touching on that. I'm like, okay, like I get it. This is this is a film of like this time that we're in now because these things yeah. that happened 80 years ago are happening right now. Like the film is kind of backdropped by the 30s and the transition into the 40s, the World War Two, the Depression. Right. Uh, so it, yeah, there is this, uh, and in the film they're talking about socialists and how socialists you can really drum up fear with just that word socialism. Right. Like, okay. and do people even know the difference? Like Mank at one point even between it, socialism it says and communism. He says, he says yeah. you're a, a red guy. He's like, you know the difference between communism and socialism. He's but like it's, they're miles of, uh, apart. Yeah, it, I totally agree that that was one of the strengths of the movie is that it's uniquely timely for right now because it's informed by this backdrop of kind of like the every man is down how can we like make him uh fear socialism so much that we can control you know and can keep our like wealth and power you know what i mean right or just that's a whole theme in the film that like really resonates you know do one of y'all want to do kind of a little bit of backstory like how that plot point plays out 
Yeah, we have to set that up. Yeah. I guess. So, what do you mean, like, uh, so like? But May- the whole film is really backdrop just by that time. Are you saying? Yeah. So there's kind relates- of this mayor's you mean like race, how- right? A mayor's race between two candidates. Right. One is more of on the, on the night- socialist side. It's a gubernatorial race, isn't night- it? Governor? I, think, I think it's. It might be mayor. It's 1934. I think they're bouncing the between 34, 38. They're kind of going through the 30s. I know what you're talking about, though. It is backdropped by a political campaign that uh, William Hurst is invested in as far as his papers. And now he started with the right. And Mank basically uncovers or like finds out through like a friend at the studio that like he's been shooting extras and out-of-work actors like pretending to be like normal everyday people and in support of the republican candidate which is kind of this like fear-mongering and he's like propaganda communist scare stuff yeah (laughs) (laughs) show's over everybody we did did it it. (laughs) i feel like everything that can go wrong will go wrong yeah (laughs) it just did i think just leave it but yeah so that that political race uh, even though we may not know like the ups and downs of the history of it, like that was just, it was a very timely thing because this, sounded a lot like right a, now, <laughs> right now, and it's a studio funded production that is literal propaganda in support of the Republican candidate right. versus the socialist candidate, which Mank is very clearly in opposition of. Um, and I thought that that was very interesting, very timely. Um, he's kind of a conscience of this group of people in some ways. He kind of keeps saying like. Are we really? Are these really our values? And they kind of keep affirming, like, yeah, these are our values. And like, Which even is, under the radar. And then he kind of stumbles onto it. And that is kind of, I guess, what a, a larger part of the film is about. But yeah, it is definitely timely in that there is a relationship between the experience of this time period and the 30s 40s uh yeah which is interesting too because i would have not known that otherwise i i wouldn't have either and it's i wouldn't have assumed it it's not even like in the context of the movie he's some like raging socialist he's just like hey are we really making propaganda (laughs) uh like fake news stories with like out of work actors during a depression because that's kind of fucked up you know yeah. like it's and not even the, like he's on this moral high ground he's just like wow this is like really odd that we're like using money to like make fake shitty stories you there's know? this illustration in the film where one of the film heads like comes in he does this long kind of monologue about the movie business and this and that and then he goes and basically performs in front of the whole MGM company and pleads with them to take a 50% pay cut while he's losing nothing. It's, it was very clear before he got there. He's not emotionally distraught. You know, he's like, we're going to make, they're like laughing right before. And then he walks, hold on on a second. And he just walks in there and like gives his performance. And like, so he does like a fake cry at the end of that monologue. Yeah. And then he's like, how'd I do? And then he (laughs) just walks off. And is Hearst and Kane, are they kind of Trumpian figures in certain ways, you know, or is some of that in the, film you know i feel like yeah. well, it, definitely it I've... could be applied you know like so yeah i i 100 agree that it's definitely timely in that way and and it does make it uh seem like vital right now you know and i think it's another point as to why you probably should watch it because it's it's interesting to put it in that perspective because for us it's new but it's also kind of like ingrained in American culture, this whole idea of propaganda and like swaying, right. you know, or, or Spin. instilling fear. Spin. Yeah, instilling yeah. fear Where, in people. And I thought that was so hilarious because you always hear like these conspiracy theories about the the Hollywood elite and the deep state and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, this is like the opposite 
it's still Hollywood elite, but it's like on the opposite end of the spectrum. And this actually happened, and like they know that in the 30s that they were shooting fake propaganda films to make it look like out of work actors were just the right, right. everyday person backing a Republican. There's candidate. historical context for yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But, but I think, it's just hilarious to me because it's like the exact opposite of like what people are mad about now, and it's like, well, you weren't mad about it whenever it like suited <laughs> your thing, but oh yeah, but, but we do don't. You, that's not in the history book. That's we the nature of spin. We don't, we spin, don't, talk, we don't talk about that. Like you know, we ignore it because it was a long time ago. But do you think if we were our same age doing like maybe like a review or something like that, but this movie was made like maybe ten or fifteen years ago, do you think we would care as much about that particular plot point? Wait, say that one more time. During like it, uh, the Bush administration. Well, I'm oh, just saying, saying like, would like, it be as timely? Right? I, would it would it be as timely? Would we even fucking care? Like, right, I don't know. Right. I, I feel like I feel like that is wa- a, a large reason why this movie even got made in the time that it did. That's or really it's so relevant. Wow. Yeah. Like, if this was ten or fifteen years ago, it this movie probably made. would not have gotten yeah. made. It did not know? get made. Yeah, right. And, and he it did didn't. try. You're right. Yeah, I mean, he did try right. during that time. Yeah. But, but that it, whole section of the film would just be kind of like whatever. Would it? Yeah. Would it mean the same thing if it weren't released right now? Yeah. yeah. I don't well, know. I, think I would say definitely. I would go four stars. I would say I will see it again. My 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 critique. My only critique, and it feels silly to even critique a film like this because how do you rate a film like this? That's just one guy's vision of like this was a. a passion project 1000% he's gonna make this movie because he wants to and because it means something to him and it's like worth pursuing to this extent it's like how do you even really grade that to me it did feel like a tiny bit long just a tiny like maybe 15 minutes too long yeah Uh, if you could come down to two hours like banger but Hmm. I would say like at least four stars and I'll see it again in probably even four and a half just based on its kind of cinematic quality the directorial quality i would i would definitely say four stars yeah what do you think think? i think because i've seen it twice i think i'm going 4.5 just because i was able to appreciate it think on it see it again you saw it two times did it 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 had more merit the second time i think it did just because i mean i'm not ashamed to admit the first time i was like okay what the fuck is going on yeah you know and being a little bit lost especially with the time jumps and stuff but kind of understanding a little bit more doing a little bit more research on my part yeah um watching citizen kane again uh it just it had a lot more more value to me so i think 4.5 for sure i feel good about it i would say definitely go see it yeah Unless yeah. you're a Fast and Furious fan, as Sean was saying. <laughs> maybe, if you're, if you're holding like, out for if Fast that's all you watch. 10 or whatever. If the next Vin Diesel picture is really up your alley, maybe. Or Marvel movies. If you're all in the Marvel <laughs> movies. I think that's a I common theme. I wasn't going to say it. You said I it. think that's a common theme on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but still, get out there. Go to the movies. This is John. Frank, thank you for coming again. Thanks for man. having me. Yeah. The return this is of John. Frank. This is Sean. This is Frank. This is Movie Night. Yeah, with John, with John, John, John Sean, Frank. and Frank. <laughs>